what, what I do, what he's talking about. All these years. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person, as he saw, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how that Edward, when he had inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance. Though he sought it carefully with tears. 16th, 17th verses of the 12th chapter of Hebrews. May we pray. Father, we pray for those who are lost for another gathering. They can be in eternity crying for water to cool their tongues in the devil's hell. For another meeting, they can be gone too far to where that spirit will not strive with them anymore. Before another meeting, Jesus could come and there will be no chance for them. So help us to do all we can tonight to rescue them while it's your time, while it's your opportunity, while they yet have a chance. Hear us, O God. Loose thy power in this building tonight. Answer the prayers of the saints tonight. We pray that we'll hear the cry of newborn babes in this altar. Grant that this church has prayed faithfully shall be blessed and honored by sitting in the delivery room and watch your birth children into your kingdom tonight, right here tonight. Oh, God, take thy servant and loose his tongue and illuminate his mind. And give us holy unction. And we'll praise you for it. Oh God help us tonight. For Jesus sake we pray. Amen. Lest there be any fornicator. As he saw. Lest there be any man so profane. So ungodly. So unappreciated. So unthankful. That he'll sell out for a mess of sin. And later on, he'll seek a place of repentance and never find it. I want you to know tonight that's danger in delaying your soul's salvation. When you put it off, when you delay it, there's terrible danger. And I want to warn you of the danger tonight of putting off your soul's salvation if you're not saved. It's one of the most dangerous things that you can do. Don't be so profane. Don't be so ungodly and so unappreciative 
of the provisions that God's made for you. And remember that it isn't the will of God that any man should perish. If you go to hell, you'll go to hell against the will of God. God willeth the death of no man. Everybody in hell went to hell against God's will. God had his way. He'd save everybody that's unsaved right now. Everybody that went to hell went to hell because they sinned against the will of God in going. And I want you to know that. God has no respect to persons. And in everybody that goes to hell goes there against God's will. And when there's danger in delaying it, and I want you to know tonight that you ought to stop and think about it. Don't sell your chance for some mess of sin, some privilege of fooling with sin any longer. Don't sell your chance, friend. Judas sold for 30 pieces of silver and couldn't find a place of repentance. Esau sold for a mess of pottage and couldn't find any place of repentance. Cain sold for the works of his own hands and couldn't find a place of repentance and went to hell. Others have sold for other things and couldn't find a place of repentance and went to hell. The gentlemen and ladies, don't sell your chance with God for some little old cheap insignificant thing and wind up in hell. The devil is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. If tonight out in your yard or out on your back porch there's a roaring vicious lion that had come out of the forest or escaped the some place where he's captured. Would you go out and fool with him? Open your door and let him in the house with your family? No, preacher. I got better sense than that. Have you? Well, God said the devil is a roaring lion. Jesus said, don't be afraid of him that's able to destroy the, the body, but fear him that they will destroy both body and soul in hell. All the thing, the vicious lion out of the forest, just a roaring lion that destroys your body. But the devil, as a roaring lion, destroys both your body and soul in hell. And you let him come in your house and live in you, and live with your family, and divide you and take you to hell. It's a pity with what you get as scared of the devil as you are a roaring lion. Would you go out tonight and gather up a box full of snakes, rattlesnakes, copperhead snakes, bring them in and turn them loose with your family? He said, no, preacher. I got better sense than that. Have you? The word of God said Satan is a serpent. And he stands at last, he stings like an adder. The devil is a serpent. You say, well, I wouldn't turn snakes loose in the house with my family. Why? They'll bite them. And the poison will kill my family. They'd kill only the body. But the devil shoots his venom of poison in them, kills the, both the body and the soul. And you invite him in your house. Why would you do that? How you'd have that little sense and that little respect for your family. 
If there's a murder in your yard and you usually use murdering people, would you open the door and invite him in your house knowing he's a murderer? With your family? No, no, preacher. I wouldn't think of that. All right, the devil is a murderer. You invite him in your house and let him live in the house with you and live in your life and you know it's a murderer. He can murder your soul and body in hell in a moment's time. And yet you let him come in there. And we stop to realize the devil is going about seeking whom in the devour. He's in the devouring business. He's in the wrecking business. He's never in the salvage business. He's not in the saving business. He's in the dooming business. He's in the damning business. He's in the destruction business. He's never saved anybody. His, all of his aims and all of his ambitions, all of his desires, all of the devil's interest is to destroy you, to wreck you, to blight you, to, de to damn you, and defeat you. Why would you play with the devil? Why would you be a friend to the devil when you know everything connected with the devil and all of his demons? All they want to do is to bring destruction and deterioration and degeneration and damnation to your life and to your soul. Why fool with the old devil? Why invite him into your life and into your home when you know what he's going to do? My friends, tonight, why fool with the devil? Why invite him in your life? Why let him stay in your house with your family when he's so deadly, when he's so wicked, when he's so treacherous? As a result of it, he's doing everything he can to destroy him. And we stop to realize, my friends, the devil is all the time going about seeking whom he may devour. He's after you. He's trying to get you. He's trying to destroy you. He wants you in hell. And if he can get you in hell, he's going to take you to hell. And you need to realize that. And the devil has many ways to take folks to hell. One of the ways devil has to get you in hell is to give you some excuse for not being a Christian. Did you know the thing that sends most people into hell tonight is excuses? You're not going to hell because you're a drunkard. You're not going to hell because you're a gambler or sex pervert or harlot, prostitute. You're not going to hell because you're a murderer. You know what you're going to hell for tonight? Because of some excuse. If I could know who was the lost people in, in this spirit tonight, and I'd come out there and say, why aren't you a Christian? You wouldn't say it's because I'm a drunkard or because I'm a murderer or because I'm a liar. Because You wouldn't about to tell me that. You'd give me some little old silly excuse because you're not a Christian. Why you're not a Christian? Hey, everybody in hell, if you get uncapped hell tonight and listening on hell, everybody in hell went to hell over some little old excuse. You don't go to hell because you're a gambler and a liar and a sex pervert, prostitute or a whoremonger or murder. You go to hell because you're listening to the devil and take his excuses. And when you wear out one excuse, he gives you another. He keeps you in the excuse business. I was over in Texas visiting with a preacher and come to one fellow's house. Pastor said, why you hadn't been to church? He said, preacher, I'm going to be honest with you. The reason I hadn't been, my axe handle broke. 
Well, I've got my curiosity stirred up. Before we left that house, I said, pardon me, fella. I wanted the preacher to ask him, but he wouldn't. I said, what's your axe handle broke? Got to do with you coming to church? He said, oh, when I saw you coming, I knew what you was coming. The preacher going to get on me for not coming to church. And said, I had to have some excuse for not coming. And said, I'll tell you, the book act handle is good as some of the other excuses the others offered you. And it was better than some of them had offered us. You see, the devil don't care what your excuse is as long as you've got some excuse to keep you from getting saved. And when you wear out one excuse, he'll give you another. Wear that out, he'll give you another. You, every one of you sitting in here tonight on your road to hell is on the road to hell not because you're immoral and wicked and sinful. You're on the road to hell because you're offering the devil's excuses for not being saved. That's the reason you're going to hell. Every time somebody tries to get you saved, you've got some little excuse you come up with. And you're going to keep on offering those excuses and you're going to wind up in hell. That's what's going to happen. The devil's got a bunch of excuses to take you to hell with. And you're following those excuses and going to hell. Then the devil's got another way of catching you and getting you in hell. Brother Charles mentioned tonight, I mentioned again, and that's putting a bunch of scarecrows around the church. You call them hypocrites, we call them scarecrows. They get a hypocrite in the church, and you look at them, the devil said, look at them old hypocrites. And you say, well, I'm better than the hypocrites. Well, God have pity on you if you're not better than some of them, you ought to go to hell. I'll tell you that. And I, friends, I want you to know one thing. You say, preacher, I know some crooked preachers. I do, too. I know some of them so crooked they'll have to screw the coffin on them. And I know some deacons are crooked, they'll have to screw their shirt on them. But that ain't going to keep you out of hell. Well, preacher, you ought to get them hypocrites out of the church. Well, if you know how to do it, why don't you get saved and join the church and get them out and we'll pay your salary to keep them all out for us. Now, I got a sad story for you. If you're waiting for the hypocrites to get out of the church and get saved, you just well go on and get a summer suit on and get a fan in your hand and get ready for a warm climate because you're going to spit hell wide open. There never has been a church without a hypocrite, and there never will be. Jesus selected 12 for the first church and got a crook, old Judas Iscariot. When we had to take two or three hundred, we're bound to get some crooks. But I'd rather be in the church of a few of them than to be in hell with all of them. That's where they're going. And you're going to hell with them. And say so you don't want to be in there, you're fixing to get in with all of them. And the only way to keep them getting out of the hypocrites is get saved and get in the church. And, and only God added to the church such as saved. God didn't add the hypocrites to the church. The devil added them. And so you look at them and get scared and not join, not get right of God. See, the devil's using all that stuff, my friends. And I want you to realize that. 
and all that excuse business. God said in the book of Romans, the first chapter, because of the manifestation of the eternal Godhead, man will be without excuse in that day. What's God saying? He said because of the manifestation of the eternal Godhead in creation, man will be without excuse. What's he saying? Everything God ever created declares God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You see, there's three joints in your fingers, three joints in your limbs, three parts of your body, flesh, bone, and blood, three parts to the eye, three parts to the brain, three parts to a tree, heart, sap, and bark, three parts to creation, mineral life, plant life, animal life. Everything God ever created is in three parts, declaring God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. If you never hear a preacher preach, if you never see a Bible, if you never go to church, God will send you to hell because you didn't see him in creation. He declared himself in creation. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And God won't excuse you on no grounds. There's one come along, you know. Jesus tells us, the man got your supper ready. They invited some guests. One of them, when common consent, they didn't give any excuses. One of them said, I'm out of wife and can't come. Excuse me. Another one said, I bought a yoke oxen can't come. Excuse me. Another one said, I bought some property. I've got to go look at it. I can't come. And that's a result. The man said, go out and invite those that will come. The table wasn't full. Said, go out in the highways and hedges and get enough to fill up my table. And they went out in the highways and hedges, got the table filled up. And listen to what he said. He said, those that were bidden and excused themselves were not worthy. Now here's what's said. Neither shall they ever eat of this supper. You say, I'd get saved, but my wife. I'd get saved, but my boat and my dogs and my fishing. I'd get saved, but my property. I'll tell you, God's never going to excuse you for any of it. You'll die and go to hell with all of it hanging on you. And you can't take your hell with you if you did it get burnt up when you got there. Now I want you to know, you without excuse. God don't accept excuses. And I want and have you to know tonight, if you use excuses to get by being saved, God ain't going to accept any of it. Not only excuses, not only hypocrites, but the devil gets folks to hell by lies. He's a liar. He's the father of all lies. What's some of the lies devil's telling you sinners? You're as good as them church members. You're as good as them deacons. You're good as them priests. You don't mean to say, that's a lie out of hell. I don't care how good you are. The scripture said there's none good but one, and that's God. You're not good enough to go to heaven. The only way you're good is the regenerating powers of God makes you good. And if you haven't been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, you're fit for nothing but hell. That's all. And you need to realize it tonight. And he's lying to you. 
Then another lie the devil tell you, don't let that preacher disturb you. You've got plenty of time. You can get saved whenever you get ready. That's a lie out of hell. God said, now's accepted time. Boast not, a, you should hear the voice of God. Harden not your heart. Today is the day of salvation. Now's accepted time. Call on the Lord while he may be found. Seek him while he's near. That means you can't always find him. That means he won't always be near. And in another place in the Bible, God's word said, My spirit shall not always strive with man. When the spirit of God quits striving, you can't get saved. Devil said you got plenty of time. But God said, My spirit's not always going to strive. Seek him while you can find him. Call on him while he's near. And I want you to know my sinner friend tonight. There's a time when the Spirit of God leaves you and he don't deal with you and you can't get saved more than the devil could get saved. And you need to realize that tonight. There's times when the Spirit of God's dealing with you and that's the time you've got to get saved. This old thing, you can just get saved any time you want to. No, you can't. You get saved when God's ready and not when you're ready. And you better wake up to that fact tonight. The devil said, any time do. No, God said, today is the day, now is accepted time, boast not of tomorrow, because you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring forth. There's danger in you putting on your soul salvation. Four, four, four great dangers. Danger number one in English to your soul salvation is sudden death. The word of God said, he that's often reproved, and stiffens his neck, hardens his neck, shall be suddenly destroyed, and that without a remedy. The foot of the wicked shall slide in due time, and the things that come on shall make haste. Twenty-one times, listen to me, twenty-one times in the word of God, God said if you die without God, you'll die suddenly. Now if you die, not a Christian, if you die a lost sinner, young or old, rich or poor, doesn't matter who you are, if you die without God, you're going to die sudden death. And God's going to lie 21 times. Hear me? God said in this book 21 times. You'll die sudden death if you die without God or die in an unconscious coma. The devil said you got plenty of time. God said it's a sudden death. And through these 50 years I've been across America, I've seen God keep his word. I was in the hill of Brand, North Carolina meeting. A young man, an athlete, was in the tent. And he's back in the corner of the tent. Had his arm around the quarter pole. I went back and talked to him about the Lord. He said, I'm not ready to get saved. 18 years old, picture of hell. And I talked to him and got out on knees and prayed and prayed. He said, I'm going to women wine and dine a while before I get saved, Mr. Ray. You're wasting your time with me. You go going to front and tell somebody else to come. He walked out of there and got in his sport car, left out and started around the Valdez Mountain and lost control of his car. And the car plunged down that mountain, hit a light post, broke the post in two, and the part swinging on the electric bars, swung through the windshield, hit him right there and punched his head off in his body and punched it in the back seat of the car. Less than 12 minutes ago, 
he cursed him, said he had plenty of time, he's going to win and wine and dine a while. He didn't make it. I said, all of here in Tennessee in the tent meeting, and I prayed and talked to a grown man about his soul. He had his arm around the center pole of the tent, and I read scripture and got on my knees and prayed, and he said, Mr. A, you're trying to cram God down somebody. I don't appreciate it. You leave me alone. I'll get saved and I got ready. You just leave me alone. You're trying to rush me, and I don't appreciate it. Turned around and walked out, got his car, drove down 64 Highway, crossed Indian Creek, turned down a road, down down the creek, started to drive into his house, drove into the driveway and got out of his car, and a fellow that has had it in for him, standing in the dark with a piece of book car spring, hit him up the head when he got out of the car, knocked his cap off, and his brains fell out on the ground. And that fellow stepped in his brains when he went to run from the sea. And before we closed that tent walls down, the horse went by and picked up what is left of him down there in the back of the house. Less than 15 minutes, he's in hell of burning and hollering water. I was over here in Arkansas, seven miles south of Bible, what is 61 highway, now it's 55 interstate. Main drag from St. Louis to Memphis. And he's out in the open. Having a meeting. Great crowds is coming. Man and his wife coming down the highway. They parked on the other side of the road. Walked across the highway. Come in and sit down on the back seat. To see what was going on. They didn't know what was doing. Sat that a little bit. And the man got up and said to his wife. Said this is a blanket blank religious meeting. We ain't got time to get religion over it. Let's go. And Kirsten walked out. Started to walk across the highway to get in the car to keep traveling. These traveling people. And a drunk driver in a Ford Mercury Roadster come down through there, making about 9,500 miles an hour. Sounded like a jet plane taking off. Just they got in the middle of the road. He hit them and knocked both of them about 35 or 40 feet down the highway. Killed them instantly. Mr. Cobb, the undertaker in the city, Said preacher, they didn't know what hit them. Said there wasn't a whole bone left in either one of their bodies. It crushed them to pieces. Less than two minutes ago, he cussed and said, We got plenty of time in religion. He just two minutes out of hell. That's all there was. And his wife with him. Don't boast about tomorrow. Some time ago, before Dr. Lee died, he was up at the camp, Camp Zion. And one night he preached and I felt a burden that somebody ought to come that night. And he did too. We extended the invitation three songs long. Same three extra songs. And I prayed. And an old boy went out and told his mother that night. Said, I felt like this after me, but this sure didn't get me tonight. I like my whiskey too good them get me. That is on Monday night, Thursday afternoon. He got on drinking and went down the highway in his car and topped the hill and there's two big mules in the middle of the road and he run over those mules and one of them uh, run on one of them and one of them landed on top of the hood of the car and his back foot run through the windshield and hit his head right there and punched his head off and punched it in the back seat. Killed him instantly. From Monday night 
until Thursday is all the time he had and he bragged about he had plenty of time. Don't boast about tomorrow. I was up in the edge of Tennessee in the meeting and I preached and some young people said that preacher's trying to booger us, ain't he? And they made a lot of fun and giggled and nudged each other and they got out and jumped in the car, seven of them, and six miles from there they started to make a curve and flip their little jitney and it killed all seven of them, tore them to pieces when it jipped, turned over. All seven of them went to eternity without God. Hey, don't boast about that. As sure as God's on the throne, if you die that God, you just as sure to die suddenly as you ain't here. Rich or poor intention, young or old, you're going to die suddenly if you die that God. The book said so, and God can't lie to save your heart. And so you just remember, danger number one is sudden death. And you die that God, you're going to die suddenly. See, God's giving you a chance. And then, there's another danger. Another danger is you can get mentally sick and have not had sense enough to trust God. You say, well, there's no insanity in my family. There's a lot of them in the state hospital. There's no insanity in their family either. There may be a disease present in there now that will leave you mentally sick before morning. A little tumor going or going in there that'll press you out of order and you'll be mentally sick before morning. You don't know. Just like you wake up with the earache or the toothache. Wake up with appendicitis or gallbladder. Wake up sick at your stomach or head or hurt. You can wake up in the morning and be mentally sick. And they'll have to haul you off to the hospital and lock you up in there. And if you don't ever get mentally well, you'll not have sense enough to trust Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, lads and lasses, the time to get saved is while you can think on God. While you've got sense enough to concentrate and trust Jesus and commit your soul in the hands of Jesus Christ. That's the time you've got to trust God. Don't put it off to some other time. Now is the time, God said. Today is the day. Don't boast about another. You can have a mental sickness and never have sense enough to trust God. Hey, God give you sense enough to trust Him and get saved and you better use your head for something besides a hat where I can do something about it tonight. God help you to realize that. And that ain't all the middle danger. You can become mentally sick suddenly. An accident can happen. And get you mentally sick, get you out of balance. But there's someone else. And let me read it to you. So you be sure I got that book. Romans 1, 28. 28 verse of chapter 1. Listen. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them unto a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Being filled with all unrighteous fornication, wickedness, covenants, and malicious, full of envy, and debate, uh, backbiters, haters of God, despite for pride, boasting in many of them, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, let them do the same, but have pleasure in them to do what you say. He's simply saying, since they didn't like to think on God, since they don't like to be bothered the idea of thinking about God and the judgment of God, God accommodates you and reprobates your mind. What's that? 
He erases the knowledge of God from your brain. And when God reprobates a human mind, you don't have no more knowledge of God than a dog or a hog. How long will it take you to lead a dog to Christ? Or a hog to Christ? You remember, my friend, Jesus said, don't give that which is holy to the dogs. Don't cast your pearls before swine. They'll trample them on the feet and turn and rend you to pieces. You know what he's talking about? Human beings who don't have no more mind of God than a dog or a hog. And when God reprobates your mind, why? You didn't like to think on God. You didn't like to study about God. You mean God do something like That's what it said. You want one stiffer than me? Well, it's in the book. And I'll just give it to you. So you know that I'm still in the book. We turn over here in Thessalonians, the second chapter of Thessalonians, second Thessalonians, second chapter. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusions that they should believe a lie that they all might be damned who believe they're not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. For this cause God shall send them strong delusions that they should believe a lie that they all might be damned because because they believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. It comes a time when you don't want to be righteous, you don't want to believe God, and God gives you strong delusions, He reprobates your mind, and your life becomes nothing but a cesspool of sin. You have no moral condition in you at all. When God reprobates your mind, He sues you as a doctor, as a dead man. He'll not bother you anymore. Let me give you an illustration. I was down in Tampa, Florida, Seminole Heights Baptist Church, Dr. Mathis, pastor. One night they brought a young man in and said, we want to talk to this man. I said, all right. At church, I set him down. I said, what's your problem? He said, Mr. I can't find God in my thinking. Today, no God. I said, well, You don't believe there's any God? said, no. Keep finding God in my thinking. I said, you want me to talk to you? He said, yeah. I said, may I ask you some questions? I said, help yourself. I said, when you was a little bitty boy growing up, did you believe there's a God? He said, Mr. Ray, all little boys and girls believe there's a God when they're growing up. They all believe that, you know. I said, all of them? said, yeah. I said, Amen. And you let me pause say this. You never heard tell of a little boy and a little girl being an infidel or atheist or skeptic, did you? See? They said they grow up and get smart Alex. I said, all right. Another question. When you were growing up, did you ever go out and watch the sun sinking behind the horizon and the glow break over the sky in a beautiful color? And something grab you in the chest and say, Come on! There's a great beyond for you. And he was something tugging in your chest. He said, Mr. Ray, 
All kids feel have those emotional experiences. I said, all? He said, yeah. I said, then when you was a boy, you did feel as a God. You did feel a tug. Let me ask you something else. Did you ever pray to that God in your childish prayers and felt like God answered your childish way? Said, sure, all kids have those childish emotions. I said, all? Said, yeah. I said, you're right. Shake my hand. You've told the truth. I said, you agree to that? All kids belong, believe in God, all little fellas pray and get prayers answered. All the little fellas feel the tug of another world. said, yeah. I said, just one other question now. When did it happen? He said, what? I said, when, when did you happen? When did it happen that you quit believing that? He looked off in space and sweat popped out on his face. And said, you're the first man to ask me that. I said, maybe so, first to last. When did it stop? Breathing. Tell me. Said Tadley, didn't he? Said, to tell you the truth. I entered the University of the State of Florida and had an infidel teacher. And he'd tell all those young people to hang our God and our soul on the doorknob before they come into his classroom. Too intelligent to believe that 40-year-ago superstition of souls and Jesus's and hells and heavens. And he'd go off and see the young people would cry and get upset about it. And he'd laugh about it. He'd have sport out of it. He said, I saw what he's doing. And so as a result, I decided and I would go and tell him about it. And I told him that I was going to side with him. He gave me some Bobby results and Tom Paine's book, and I got to believe in it. And said that I could argue as good as he could. Said one day the classroom was full, the biggest class. Said, fold up your books, close your notebooks. I'm going to convince you young people there's not any God, not any Jesus, not any heaven, not any hell. Just forget it. Said he began to make fun and a lot of young people got to chewing their fingernails and crying and got up and said, we won't listen to that mess as that. Walked out of the class and said, Mr. Ray, there's a whole world girl sitting right behind where I was sitting. They got up and put their hands up and said, Professor, we died before you. There is a Jesus. He's in our hearts and we've experienced him. He's real. He's alive in our hearts. And said, I jumped up and turned around and gritted my teeth and made a face at him, shook my fist in that face, gritted my teeth, and I said, There is a no blanket blanket of God stopped my foot and shook my fist and said, When I said that mystery, something slipped in my brain. And said, From then till now, there hadn't been a God. Said, You ever quit on a tight cap and feel and pull it off? Feel your skin. Muscles relaxed. Said something was pulled out of my brain. And from there to now, there's never been a God. And the girls that was with him and the other boy fell on the knees. The other boy fell on his knees and I fell on my knees. We prayed till midnight. He got up and walked out Seminole Heights Baptist Church, walked down Seminole Street, stood down on the street corner and stopped the corner of the street and cursed the hour. He met that infidel professor.
But he never did find God. Listen to me. It's not smart to argue there's no God. He can reprobate your mind that quick. There may be no God for as far as you're concerned. You don't have to leave Lake Charles. You can go to New Orleans. You can go to Houston. And I can drive down certain streets and point people out. You get out and talk to them about God and they'll laugh in your face. You can talk to daylight and they won't believe in God more than they did when you started. Their minds are reprobated. They have no more knowledge of God than a dog or a hog. They're reprobated. Where's the danger? Here it is. Somebody gets up and gives a good testimony like this brother gave tonight. Like the pastor's given. And it gets your conviction. You get jitter inside. Somebody prays a good prayer, sings a good song, gets you all jitter. We call it conviction. And it works you. And God's trying to get you to turn loose and trust him. But then somebody talks to you. You get all jitter and shook up. You pitch your feet and say, shut up about God. That's all I hear. God for dinner, God for supper, God at school, God on the job. It's God this, God that. All I hear is this God stuff, Jesus stuff. Shut up about God and Jesus. I'm sick and tired of it. I don't want to hear any more of it. You pitch your little tandem fit like that and God will leave you. <laughs> and the next time they talk about God, you laugh. <laughs> Who's God? <laughs> Where'd God come from? And they can talk to you from here on. And there'll be no God. There's plenty of them in Lake Charles like that. New Orleans like that. Houston like that. Beaumont like that. They don't believe God. Won't ever believe God. Hey, if you still feel some conviction, you better get on your knees and thank God there's still a chance for you. And do something about it. And if you don't feel much of an urge, you better get in the altar and cry to God to give you an urge before it's too late. Reprobated mind. God, sue you as the doctors are dead now. Give you over to evil imaginations that you might believe a lie, that you might be damned because you don't want to believe God. And then another danger is, my friends, Jesus is coming. You see, I've heard that stuff all my life, preacher. I have to. Thank God I've heard it ever since I've been being ever. Jesus is coming. I wish he'd come tonight. Yeah. Oh, no, preacher, not now. Why? Something wrong with you if you don't want to come now. I don't tell nothing about the graveyard. I wish you'd come on. Get this thing over with. Oh, let Jesus come. But he's coming. He's coming in the twinkle of an eye. And it's more than you think. He said in the scripture, the wars and rumors of war, the end is yet. Nation against nation, the end is yet. Kingdom against kingdom, the end is yet. There'll be earthquakes in many places. And we hadn't. Haven't we had a lot of earthquakes lately? The end isn't yet. Be famines. The end isn't yet. But when this gospel shall have been preached to the four ends of the earth, 
than the love of many which wax cold because iniquity abounds. And said it's like when you see the buds putting forth, you know summer's nigh. And when you see this happening, you know my coming's nigh. What? Men's hearts fail in the end, isn't it? But when this gospel has been preached for four ends of the earth, and iniquity starts bounding, and the love of many wax cold, then you know I'm about to come like you see the buds coming. I'm about to come. Listen, my friends all over this country, preachers are throwing them down. There'll be at least 50,000 Baptist preachers quit the ministry with you and go to secular work. 100,000 deacons are predicted quitting the deaconship this year. 150,000 Sunday school teachers quitting teaching in Sunday school this year. Our churches are eating. Average Baptist church on Sunday night going to have enough to hardly sing a song. They're emptying. A lot of them on Sunday morning are emptying. You're so fortunate to have a church that attends the services. You're one out of 20 that has good crowds. I know what I'm talking about. I'm traveling over America. And a lot of preachers are quitting the pulpit and getting secular work. There's so much division and confusion and fussing and striving. Division, they're just quitting. Their nerves won't take it. They're discouraged. They're defeated. And they're taken out and quitting. And they, someone's discouraged. Jesus said, when you see them all quitting, and a lot of iniquity in there, and a lot of them falling away and taken out and quitting, you just like you see the bed putting forth, you look at summer's just around the corner. When that starts, I'm just around the corner. I don't want to go to the graveyard. And so I see that, and I'm more excited than I've ever been. I'll tell you, it's not long till Jesus is going to come. Some of these mornings you're going to wake up, and that Christian wife's gone. There's this gun in the bed, clothes you pull off line there. Or vice versa, the Christian husband gone. His pajamas there, his clothes there. Door's still locked, the window's still up. Your children, their clothes are gone. They're not gone, they're lying there. Their pajamas and guns are there, but they're gone. Door's still locked, nobody's been in the house, but they're gone. You're going to wake up and get shook up, and you're going to run down the street and say, Hey, anything happened to your house last night? Why? Probably all folks going, Well, Mama's gone. Her daddy's gone. Sister and brother's gone. The clothes are here, but they're gone. And run down to another house and they're gone. Hey, something happened. Run in the house and get on the news media. Special news bulletin this morning at 2 o'clock. The Greyhound and Trailway Bus Company reports that many passengers and drivers of buses disappeared. Suddenly the buses were wrecked all over the country. Special news bulletin this morning at 2 o'clock. The fast trains in Chicago to Los Angeles and San Francisco and New York announced that the many of the crew and Part of the passage suddenly disappeared and the drains are wrecked and twisted steel and people die. Special news this morning at 2 o'clock. The airlines, Eastern, American, and Delta, and all the airlines reported that many of the pilots and some of the students, many of the 
Pastors suddenly disappeared and the planes were wrecked and burning all over the country. Special bulletin! This morning at 2 o'clock, they reported that Chicago, New York, San Francisco, Houston, and New Orleans had a terrible traffic jam because many drivers of buses and cars and trucks suddenly disappeared and the vehicles were wrecked and jammed the streets. Special news bulletin this morning at 2 o'clock. Factories closed down because of uh, many of the employees suddenly left out. Special news bulletin this morning at 2 o'clock. Hospitals become disturbed because a lot of the patients, some of the nurses and doctors left out suddenly. Special news bulletin this morning at 2 o'clock. The funeral homes reported that many corpses left out of their caskets and left their clothes. Jesus has come. 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 That's what happened. It's too late for you to get saved. Too late for you to get saved. Don't fool with it, my friend. Don't boast about I'll get saved later. Too late to get saved. Then one other. Not only sudden death, not only men who crack up in the rubber big mind, the sudden coming of Jesus, but the last, but not the least. My spirit shall not always strive with men. And when the Spirit of God could strive, there's no coming. Listen to it. Let me read your scripture here. See, I'm not going to tuck anything that I can't prove to the Bible. Sixth chapter of Hebrews. Hebrews sixth chapter. Fourth verse. For it is impossible. For it is impossible. What's impossible? For those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the word of God and the powers of the world to come. For it's impossible for those who are those, those that once were enlightened, those that have tasted the heavenly gift, those who are partakers of the Holy Ghost, those who have tasted the good word of God, those who have tasted the powers of the world to come. Notice that. Word again. It's impossible for those who who have been so enlightened. The Holy Ghost has worked them over. And enlightened them. The Holy Ghost don't save anybody. He enlightens us. He convicts us of sin and righteousness and judgment. Leads us to the Lord. He enlightens us. And the Holy Spirit has so enlightened them that they just taste the heavenly gift. Taste the good word of God. The past work of... Do you get to see the language? Tasting. There's a lot of difference in tasting and eating. Jesus said, He that drinketh and he that eateth. He that drinketh this shall never thirst. He that eateth the better life shall never die. Didn't say he that tasteth. But these folks get so close the Holy Ghost works on them and they get so enlightened by the Holy Spirit that they can just taste the heavenly gift. Oh, it's good. Taste the word of God. 
taste the powers of the Lord come, but they don't eat, they don't drink. If they get that close and then turn away, it's impossible to restore them under what? Under repentance, not to salvation. They've never been saved. It's impossible to restore them to salvation unless you bring Christ back and crucify him again for them. And that means the Spirit of God has left them. He's done his work. He's gone as far as he can go. He's got them to taste until they taste the good work of God. He's enlightened them until they can just taste the good word of God and the world to come. Just taste it. He can't get them any further without eating them true. And so as a result, they don't eat, they don't drink, they give up there and turn away from it and they'll never come back again. And as a result, God leaves them. He gives them over. He hardens their hearts according to the 10th chapter of the book of uh, John. He hardens their hearts that they can't believe. And so as a result, they go to hell. My friends, it comes a time when God will harden your heart and there comes a time when God's spirit will leave you and you can't get saved. I don't care what you do, how hard you try. God's suing you as a doctor is a dead man. God's done. Let me give you some illustrations right quick so you'll understand what I'm talking about. Then I'm through. I was up in Kentucky. We were having a meeting about 1,600 people every night. Not a week, not a move. Chairman Deacon got up and said, Brother Ray and Pastor Goff, Dr. Goff was pastor. So we had a week's meeting, not a move. We need to send confession and a prayer meeting all day tomorrow, and I beg you to have, be allowed to call it. Next morning that church met, and it was full of people confessing sin and praying to God confessing to each other and asking each other for you. That went on all day long the next day. Fifteen minutes after eight o'clock that night they'd caught up with it. That deacon got up and said, Now brother way you preach. We're clear. God can do something for us. I got up and preached about forty five minutes, gave an invitation, and in twenty minutes a hundred and four people got saved. How God dipped down in there and you see the smoke of God's holy forest burning above their head. Oh, folks are crying and rejoicing. Folks running the altar and getting saved that had never been moved before. Almost like a day of Pentecost. And then among those that comes a lot of young people. And on the aisle, halfway back, there's a young woman who's a dancing master in the bathing beauty contest winning a nightclub entertainer. And some of the young people went back there and tried to get her to come. And we was in the hall. She wouldn't come. She laughed at him. Her father went over and she sent him back to his seat. Her mother came from the second seat of the front and walked down the aisle crying. Mother got in the and said, Mama, don't come back here crying over me slobbing over me like a dying calf. She continued. She stepped out and out and said, Mama, if you come back here and embarrass me before all these people, I'll never put my foot back in another church and go to church high. Get yourself back to the seat and sit down. And the mother turned around and came back and fell on her knees at the 
bench. Two months from then, I went after the girl. She probably figured she couldn't give me the run around like she had the risk of She broke and ran to the door, single door. She started out and the Holy Ghost wouldn't let her out. She backed up and ran at it and she'd stall on the door. She stalled out three times. Fourth time, she put her hands on the face of the door outside and pulled her body through. And when she pulled through that door, she stepped down on the step out in front. And as she stepped on the sidewalk, the next step, she fell face foremost on that walk and began to scream, a scream that I hope I never do hear. I heard it nor never heard it before. I hope I never hear again. I ran on out right after the pastor right behind me. And of course, it's such a horrifying scream, the congregation began to run out the door. I said, Doctor, slip your hands on them. Let's move over here in the lawn. They'll trample a little death coming out that door. We laid it over on the lawn. A little bit, the church is empty. The neighbors and folks, kin folks, can say, What's the matter with the preacher? What's the matter with this young gone? I said, I don't know. I said, But get down there and find out. I got on the knees and I said, Young lady, what's the matter? She said, When I pulled through that door, the Spirit of God left me and he told me I'm going to hell. There's no hope for me. And folks fell on the knees and some of them prostrated themselves on the lawn. And we prayed till midnight for that young woman. They picked her up at midnight and hauled her home as members at handkerchief. Eleven months later, I was up in that area and I drove by the home. When I drove up in front of the house, she came out on the porch. Her beauty is gone now. She's skin and bones. Lips are bleeding. Her fingers bleeding worse she in order to on her fingernails. Children off to the quickness bleeding. Her lips bleeding. Eyes sunk. And I stuck my head out the window. I said, young lady, you know who I am? said, yeah, yeah, you're a preacher, eh? That's a preacher that night when God left me. By that time, I knew she knew me, and I got out of the car and walked up on the porch, and she said, preacher, Ray, the ashes, mama, and the stove tastes as good as the food mama cooks for me. I'm still going to hell. I thought if I leave God off, I could dance again, and I could win another bathe and do the contest. I can entertain the nudge But since I run off from God, I can't get no relief. I don't want to see my own folks. I don't want to dance. I don't want a nightclub. I'm going to hell. And she went over and grabbed me and yelled at me. Get out of here. Preacher Ray, go all over America and tell everybody not to wait. It'll be too late like I am. I'm going to hell. I can't stop. I'm going to hell. Get out of here and tell everybody not to wait. She shoved me out of the porch. I got in my car and drove away. A few weeks later, she died a horrible death. Right now, where the Kentucky Lake is, out of Paducah, Kentucky, that's in the brush yard of Matana Hill, above the lake now. Power of God fell one night. Young man, an athlete, came on a conviction, came to the altar, shaking tears, streaming on his cheeks. And as he came, power of God was on him. And I prayed, and I read the scripture to explain the plan of salvation. I said, C.D., don't you accept Christ now? He'd shake his head and sling tears. I prayed and read the scripture and explained again. I said, do you see how to be saved if you trust Jesus? He said, yes, sir. 
And I said, well, then, C.D., won't you just come on right now and accept Jesus as your Savior? And he's just shaking all over, tears running on his cheeks on the conviction. Directly jumped up and run to the edge of the arbor and just did like this and, Oh, the devil, I don't want no God in me tonight. And then like it hit him in the face with a sack of eyes. He got a long breath and started running through the woods. Crying, come back, God. Come back, God, I didn't mean it. Come back, God, I didn't mean it. But God didn't come back. They caught him about a mile and a half. Brought him back home. And he died three months later, tied on his bed with a half of each seagrass rope crying, come back, God. But God never come back. Seaside, California. I was meeting in the auditorium there. Second night, a beautiful, as pretty a girl as I've ever seen anywhere, was standing over next to the wall. Diamond earring, diamond earrings that covered her finger in a diamond breastplate, silk dress, under conviction, holding to the seat, shaking the whole seat. She's so under conviction. We had an extra song and prayer, three songs and three prayers, four songs and four prayers, waiting for it to come. Everybody else will come. Then we had the fourth prayer. Then I had the fifth prayer, and then singing the fifth song. And I walked down there and held my hands out, and I said, Little lady, won't you come? And she came to the aisle. But when she got to the aisle, she stopped. I said, That's right, come on. Well, she turned around and moved back to in between the pews to her seat, and then stiffened herself like a soldier to teaching. Just like a soldier, just stiffened herself. Shook her head. Her tears dried. Her emotions calmed. I looked and I said to the preacher, it's over tonight, dismiss him. She wasn't there the next night. Next night I saw her come in at the back and she looked like a corpse. Next night halfway down she looked worse. Next night is the last night of the meeting. I was sitting over there like next to the door like a useless sit. She came down the aisle and said, Preacher, Ray, I said, Yes. Said, I'm going to tell you something that's going to scare, going to embarrass you to death and nearly kill you. I said, You want to step out? Said, No, I want this whole crowd to hear me. I said, All right, what is it? She said, I've sent my soul to hell. I was hanging on the grass hot, bass hat on the ocean. And going to hell with him. I jumped up and I said, What'd you say? She said, I'm hanging on a brass hat on the horse and God's going to send me to hell with him. I said, What do you mean? She said, I'm dating a brass hat on the horse over there, to seaside base. Not a little old private, but a brass hat man. I'm dating him. And said, God told me to let him alone. He's got a wife and a couple of kids. But he said he'd fly me to pass France, that Cadillac convertible I'm driving. He furnished it, furnished the gas, all his clothes, all his jewelry. And I'm enjoying him. I'm dating him. I can't give him up. And said, Preacher, I told God that night when I stepped back, 
I won't give him up. I'll go to hell before I give him up. I'll go to hell with him before I'll turn him loose. And said, God left me and I'm going to hell with him, preacher. Hands went up all over the congregation. I said, what is it? They said, let us pray for the girl. Don't you preach? I said, amen. They filled the altar, filled the aisle. That crowd prayed for that girl till four o'clock in the morning. She stood in our midst and said, I'm going to hell with that bass hat on officer. God's a million miles. She slapped me. Walked out. And then I come home all shook up over it. And just about three months old, maybe four months. Andy Anderson called me crying. Said the girl, I said, what? Said she's dead. Said I've come from the hospital. She got in such a shape they carried the hospital. Strapped on the bed with three inch leather straps and she broke them. Plunging and crying, I'm going to hell with that brass hat man. Said four men Big as you, one on each wrist and one on each angle. Couldn't hold in the bed. She'd go and convulse and chew her tongue till it fell out the side of her mouth. Her pillow was soaked in her own blood. She'd cry, I'm going to hell with that brass hat man. And then with one great scream, she chewed her tongue off. And she died. And said, it's awful look I ever saw on a human face. She must have went to hell, preacher. And went to Blue Hood and hung up the phone. Oh, listen. Don't damn your soul. This one other, the most recent I had, one of the most recent, I've had others, but one of the most recent I had in this North Carolina. I'll tell you about that and I'm through. This is North Carolina, crowd about like this. Power of God had come on, 18 had gotten saved. And there's a girl who'd come up, a young lady who'd come up, and her father was at the bow next to the end of the table, and she's bowed by him, and a girlfriend bowed by. She's in between them. And would everybody get clear? There's only ones there. And I said, Well, I'll get out and see if I can clear that out while the preacher's getting the names of the others. And I asked the girl to get up and let me talk to her. And when the girl stood up, I said, What she wants? said, She wants to get saved. I got down on my knees. I said, young lady, what'd you come for? I said, get saved. I said, you believe Jesus saved? He said, I know he will. I want him to. I said, praise the Lord. I'm glad of that. I explained the salvation plan, the salvation to her. I read the scripture. I prayed with it. I said, will you accept Jesus? She said, no, not now. Her father prayed with her. And I said, will you accept Jesus? She looked up and said, preacher, I came tonight. I said, what's the matter? So, preacher, ever since I've been big enough to remember what my name was, the height of thy ambition is one of these big bell-bottom evening gowns, silk-laced evening gown. You know, just straps over the shoulder, comes down the waist, and then it bell-bottoms out. Dance under bright lights, and a young man holding me in his arms, dancing under bright lights. So that's my ambition from my time I've been big enough to remember anything I, that's what I want and said tomorrow night at the junior high school prom dance it's coming to pass so I went to Charlotte today shopped all over Charlotte found the prettiest gown in Charlotte I went back and looked at all of them 
And I said, this is pretty. Then I got afraid I wasn't going to have the money to buy. And guess what? When I found the price, I said I had exactly the amount of money to the penny to pay for it and the taxes. Her father said, now, Father, don't start on me. said, I didn't steal the money. said, Preacher Ray, we don't have much at our house. We're poor folks. said, Daddy, where I got that money? I did it out my allowance, and I did it out my lunch money to put it away all these years while I've gone to school, so I'd have it. And that's what I bought it with. And said, Preacher, I've got a date with a young man. He's going to hold me in the arms and dance with me at the junior senior high school prom dance tomorrow evening. And I'm going to wear that gown and then I'll come back and get Jesus. The father broke down and cried out loud, just boo-hooed. And the girl did. We tried to get her. She wouldn't give up. And the girl got on, loved her and prayed with her and cried with her. Finally, I just touched on the shoulder. I said, young lady, won't you forget the gown and the dance tomorrow night and just come on and trust Jesus? She jumped up and said, no, no, I won't, and run out the door. And a chill come over that crowd. And when it did, I knew what had happened. She wasn't back next evening. She danced. Wore that gown on the bright lights and the man, young men hugged her up. And they had a big time. But she didn't come back to church. A letter came from the young people. She lives 18 miles out in the country. And a letter came from the young people who said she goes out and walks in the road at night. And she's crying, saying, I got a gown, but God's gone. I got a gown, but God's gone. I got a gown, but God's gone. She sold a chance with God for a gown. Esau sold out for a mess of pottage. Spent his life seeking a place of repentance with all kinds of tears, but didn't find it. Judas for 30 pieces of silver, but didn't have no place of repentance. What the hell? Why are you selling your church with Jesus Christ for tonight? Gentlemen, what are you going to have left when God's gone? Ladies, what are you going to have left when God's Spirit's gone? You lads and lasses, hear the old preacher, what are you going to have when God's gone? What are you going to have left, honey? God's gone. You can't get to him. He's gone. He's give you up. His spirit's not coming anymore. The best thing you can do is get in this altar and ask God to save your soul. We're going to sing just as I am without one plea that thy blood be shed me. Oh, I'm a God I come. Will you come tonight? Will you come, man, a woman, boy, girl? I don't care who you are, where you're from. Now that's to join this church. Ask you to let Jesus come in your heart. Come on. What are you going to have left if Jesus leaves? Let us stand and sing.